Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my incredible co-host, <laughs> Ellen McGirt. I changed the adjective on you, Ellen. I love it. Bring all the good adjectives. It makes me happy, 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 as will our, this conversation with our next guest. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how companies are embracing a digital future and why accelerating the adoption of tech is going to be so key to so many good things. Yeah, that's right, Ellen. And our guest today has a lot to say on this topic. She's the CEO of Magic Leap, a job she assumed in August after a long career at Microsoft and Qualcomm. Magic Leap was founded in 2010, made a big splash with its augmented reality headsets uh, with gamers, but eventually it became pretty clear that the consumer product really wasn't going to sustain it. It was a pretty expensive headset. And so in a way, Peggy has a turnaround job. And, and Magic Leap is making that turnaround by pivoting to the enterprise market. Peggy Johnson, welcome to Leadership Next. Thank you, Alan and Ellen. It's a real pleasure to be here with both of you today. Well, it's great to be with you. So great companies pivot, but this is a big pivot to go from serving the gamer market to serving big, complicated companies. Tell us why that decision was made and how you go about it. Yeah, um, the decision was made just before I became CEO. So in the months just previous to that. And frankly, you know, I grew up in the wireless industry. As you mentioned, I was a long time at, at Qualcomm. And I see it very similar to what the mobile phone industry went through. Those first adopters of mobile phones were enterprise customers as well. If you remember, the product was big, uh, a bit expensive, uh, a little heavy, but it filled a need for enterprise. Uh, if you think of the, the folks who were salespeople and they uh, were working out of their cars every now and then throughout the day, they had to stop and find a payphone. Now they could just call in. That saved them time, uh, gave them time back to make more sales. So there was a real ROI for mobile phones for enterprise. I know I didn't buy one at that time. They were, they were too mm. expensive for me. I, I wasn't sure of the use case for me, but I could definitely see it. And I the reality, I think, is going to take uh, very much that same trajectory. So it made a lot of sense for the company to pivot to enterprise as the first market to approach. As you know, Peggy, having been in the technology business for a long time, we went through a long period where people looked down their noses at enterprise technology. I mean, I think Steve Jobs had a lot to do with that, right? He said, I don't care about the enterprise. I'm going to make something for the consumer. The consumers will love me. Has that now changed? Has that gone away? You know what? I think particularly with a, a tech like AR, the first place people wanted to go was games and because that's kind of sexy and fun and, and there's a lot to show off there, but they miss the opportunity in enterprise. And I think in general, the industry has turned back toward enterprise as an opportunity across a number of different technologies, not only uh, augmented reality. And it makes sense. I mean, that will give you the ability to continue to innovate by first pointing to a market that has a real need for it, then you can take those dollars and turn them back into the business and build a consumer play. Because consumer is definitely coming. It's not a no, it's just a not right now. 
Well, and games also make a lot of money. They are sexy and fun, but it's a you know multi-billion dollar industry. Can you paint us the big vision for enterprise? Because I know it will be different in just sector by sector, but what does that look like? Yeah, so I think the first adopters are the ones that we're working with right now. So it's things like um, training, particularly accelerated by the pandemic. People can't right. get together in a training room. How do you train people? Uh, so training is definitely a use case. Any type of remote assistance. So for instance, we went through an issue where we have a factory in South Florida and then a partner of ours has a factory in Guadalajara. We couldn't send engineers back and forth. We're trying to bring up our next generation product and all travel stopped. So we have our own product on engineers in Guadalajara who may not be familiar with this new equipment for the next gen product, they can make calls back to our engineers in South Florida who can see what they see. So they, you know, it's gotten to the point where I don't know that we'll put engineers on airplanes in the future because this has proven to be a technology that, you know, we figured out during the pandemic, but I think will live with us beyond that. And the other one is any type of 3D visualization. You know, design teams used to get together physically in rooms to design cars or shoes or whatever they were designing, and now they can't. So this, the, the 2D experience with our current video conferencing doesn't quite fit the needs that design teams have. And we can now gather our teams in uh, my own physical space here. I do it often. I can bring my teams in using the Magic Leap device and we can look at our next gen product, make changes, move it around, expand it, walk around it. It's really been a real tool for us that's going to go on post pandemic for sure. And then there's just one more that I think is important is just the whole idea of 3D meetings. I think enhancing this remote working environment in any way we can is something everybody's looking for. And this technology can do that. We, it just meetings can come alive again, even when you're not physically present. If you could walk around and your the audio follows you, if someone walks behind me, I can hear them. It's You have a human connection in, again with these 3D meetings that we can produce uh, with augmented reality. I, w- I want to ask um, a leadershipy question. I'm curious if you were on the hunt for a C-suite job, if you were looking to be CEO, and if there were any moves that you'd made earlier in your career that that helped you understand that when one came along, you'd be ready. You know, I at some point, I did know I wanted to be a CEO. Um, you know, I had 25 years experience at Qualcomm coming up through an industry. I got to see an industry start and then evolve and become something in, yeah. you know, a phone in everyone's pocket. And then six years at Microsoft, which really introduced me to the whole enterprise space. I, I knew of it because I, I used those tools, but I hadn't been deeply involved in it. So I felt I, ha- I had something to offer, but I knew, you know, I had probably one of the best jobs in the world at Microsoft. It was it was fabulous. And I'm working for an iconic leader in, in Satya Nadella. Yeah. And I knew though that at some point I wanted to make a change to be a CEO, but I, it needed to be the right, the right role for me to give up something like that. And, you know, I had long been interested in augmented reality. Going back to my Qualcomm days, we had a mobile AR platform called Vuforia that we had developed. Uh, I think it's owned by PTC now. And Obviously, Microsoft had HoloLens, and I I saw sort of the promise of what that tech could do in enterprise. And so when I heard 
Roni was stepping down, I very intentionally raised my hand. And, you know, there had been a few outreaches on, on different areas that I just wasn't passionate about. And I thought I wanted to be something I love. And this was an area I love. Peggy, fascinating technology, no question about that. And the enterprise pivot obviously put it into your sweet spot. But it was it is a struggling company. I mean, did you think of yourself as a as a turnaround uh, CEO? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I thought of myself as that because I'd never been a CEO before. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say I knew about the tech. I had I had made a visit to Magic Leap. Actually, Roni had asked if I wanted to come down and, and visit the factory. I was so impressed with what I saw. And then when I got to the company, I was even more impressed. The tech is solid. The team is solid. Um, they have a, a just a world-class factory and they've, they've developed the whole stack. And so you have a lot of flexibility. It's That's a real advantage and a differentiator for Magic Leap. So I felt like all of the elements were in place and really what was needed was focus. And I thought, well, I can bring that. I've got this enterprise background now from Microsoft. They've just made the pivot. So everything seemed to line up for me. I didn't think it couldn't be done at all. I thought this is doable. And so I jumped. You mentioned your years at Microsoft when I I, I met you when you yeah. were at Microsoft. Our, our excellent producer, Megan Arnold, has put a question here in front of us saying, who is your competition? I fear the answer to that question is Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> I do too. I do too. <laughs> you talked about Satya. How does it feel to suddenly go from working for Satya to competing with Satya? So a couple things there. Um, when I was at Microsoft, we met with Roni several times because both of us you know, both companies were passionate about the augmented reality space. We wanted to see it accelerate for sure. And so we had that in common. So there, are, there is commonality there. Um, obviously, things like standards, the more we can be aligned on things like that, the swifter this industry will accelerate. And that can all continue. Now, we do both make devices and largely that is our competition because we are, you know, a wearable enterprise device. Much of what you see on the market is more of a viewer. Uh, if it's augmented reality, mobile AR is more of a viewer. You hold your phone up, you see digital content placed in your real world. But both HoloLens and uh, Magically, you have the ability to interact with that content. So it's sort of a different level. And I guess I just go back to my mobile phone days and there were several you know, manufacturers of augmented reality devices maybe will be in, you know, s focusing on slightly different areas and there will be enough market for everybody. I, I certainly don't think it's a, a winner take all market. I think it'll very much look like the mobile phone industry. I'm here with Joe Yukazaglu, who is CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Joe, thanks for being with us and thanks for your support of our second season. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. So, Joe, one of the surprises we saw in 2020 in the midst of a lot of bad news was some good news, an acceleration in the adoption of digital technology. Do you think that's going to continue once the pandemic goes away? 
I do, Alan, and I would say that the cause for optimism is warranted. There are going to be some pretty significant dividends that come from the massive acceleration in all things digital. And as we move into a post-pandemic world, we're gonna see significant benefits to the economy from the big digital transformation investments the companies are making. I think we're gonna see big benefits to people in terms of quality of life as we see new models for working that allow greater flexibility, greater productivity. So on the whole, I'm pretty optimistic that there's a path out of this and that as we emerge, that there will be some bright spots, albeit coming from a pretty dark moment in time. So people were forced to innovate in 2020 because an extreme change of circumstances was forced upon them. But can they keep up that pace of innovation? Well, that's the challenge for all of us as leaders. I saw a great quote in one of your interviews recently, Alan, that in this period of time, change was free because the alternative to change was even worse. We all have to look back on the way in which we moved so quickly, we broke some glass, we didn't let corporate bureaucracy get in the way, and it actually benefited all of us significantly and leverage that mindset going forward to act more quickly, to be less inhibited by risk, and to see the true benefit of embedding digital transformation and an agile mindset within the way that our organizations operate on a go-forward basis. Joe, thank you. So struggling company, amazing technology, interesting um, opportunity, interesting positioning in the marketplace. And there were some layoffs right before you came into the company. Everyone's already exhausted. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It is a tough, tough time for everybody. Take us back to your first 100 days. How did you think about talking to people, getting them on board, or just refreshing them for the for the battle ahead. You you know you're right. There was a lot of exhaustion because not only did they have to go through the pandemic that the rest of us were going through but they they were part of a company that had gone through some challenging days. And so my first 30 days were all about the employees. It was all about individual talks with as many of them as I as I could. Yeah, again, in a pandemic, all virtual. <laughs> it was, that was a little odd not to be able to meet people yeah. face to face. It, it was actually, I, I wish it could have been done differently those thir first 30 days, but we did the best we could with the tools we had. And it was really, you know, I wanted them to know there was hope and there was opportunity because I think that the pivot was fairly new I wanted them to know what they built was amazing because it is. Um, they had a product, even Magic Leap One. There are use cases that are just right for the enterprise. So they had built an amazing product. And while they had to make some you know, pivots along the way, they were 100% consumer in the beginning and I was getting them over to be 100% enterprise, they hadn't done anything wrong. They had tried a lot of things in the years before I came some of them were the right things and, and some of them they had to pivot a bit. And but it's hard when when you've been, you know, challenged and then a pandemic hits and you wonder <laughs> what's the future. And so I did a lot of focus and attention uh, to employee groups, to small groups, to big groups, to all hands, to individuals. Peggy, because there are so few 
women leading significant companies and even fewer in the tech industry, there's always a lot of commentary when a woman gets to the top, as you did. And I saw some people suggesting, oh, this is the glass cliff, uh, an impossible task being given to a woman. But tell me how you think about that. Well, I, I feared that those comments would come out. And of course they did. And I want, I, you know, in, in other interviews up till now, I've tried to um, emphasize the fact that I raised my hand. <laughs> I, yeah. I wanted to do this and, and look at the job that I left. It was amazing, but I saw so much opportunity and, and I thought I had the, you know, the skill set that would augment what they had done and, and, you know, put us on a, on the company on a path toward growth and success. And is success in this case a sale? Are you preparing this company to be taken over by somebody else? No. I mean, right now, my focus is, well, it was resetting some of the strategies. So we were enterprise focused. I narrowed that even further. So I'm very focused on that. And we have a product that's on deck that I want to get out the door. So 100% of my focus is is on that. And we're not, you know, looking at all. We're, we're, I want to prove what this technology can do in the enterprise. And we have a steady drumbeat of use cases that we're beginning to talk about publicly that is making that case. Since we're on the um, stakeholder CEO, new CEO, new leadership conversation, and Alan and I, and I do spend an inordinate amount of our time to together talking about stakeholder capitalism. It's not just for the podcast. <laughs> we're, we really are obsessed with it. I'm curious if you're thinking about leadership in a stakeholder way. Yeah. The rules of business are, in fact, changing and that you want to be part of that change. I am. And obviously, it was wonderful to have the six years at Microsoft because I learned a lot um, from Microsoft, obviously a much bigger company than Magically. But it doesn't mean that small startups, even companies that have had some challenges, cannot uh, embrace stakeholder capitalism. And we do it in ways that we can. And and I think it's important uh, that it's introduced early because as we grow, I want it to be in the company's DNA. Um, And it's important to our employees, absolutely important that we're looking at our customers, the community around us, our suppliers, and not just our shareholders. And so I walked into the job with that in mind. And again, just because we're a little company doesn't mean that we can't abide by, you know, the principles around stakeholder capitalism. As you know, Mark Andreessen said almost a decade ago now, software will eat the world. Uh, and everybody said, yeah, he's right. You know, we'll, we'll grasp that. You're now at a hardware company, or is that not the way you think about it? Do you think you went from a software company, but do you think of Magic Leap as primarily a hardware company? You know, I think we are both a hardware and a software company, and we do build the hardware. We have our own operating system. We build, we have a a software platform and we have first party apps on top of that. But that helps prove out what this technology can do. And I think if, you know, if I went into an enterprise company right now and said, I, you know, we've got this technology and it was just a piece of that. I don't know that I would be able to get them over the line. I I needed to come in with a full end to end solution. Um, And even still, you know, It's a little bit like cloud when people didn't think they needed cloud back in the early days of my tenure at Microsoft. You know, you had to show them the benefits of of what cloud can do. It's the very same thing with augmented reality. 
I'm curious as a new CEO, do you have a squad around you where you can really dig into the the bigger nuts and bolts of building a culture of preparing to think about what it means to be a leadership presence in the broader world, you know, all of those kinds of things that are that are part of tactics and strategies but also part of the human sides of leadership? Yeah, you know, when when I came into the company, we had a great management team, but there were some areas I still had to fill. We didn't have a CFO, for instance. <laughs> I needed one of those. Wow. Oh, and wow. um, yeah, we we had a wonderful person acting CFO, but we needed to hire one. And so I've made several hires since I started. But with that in mind, I, I, I knew it needed to be the team that could help me mold the company and to mold it into a company that, you know, around a set of values. And, mm. and that meant a lot to me. Again, coming from Microsoft, I learned that from Satya, how important culture is. And, and that was why my first 30 days, it was all about uh, resetting the culture, really uh, understanding the employee best, what the issues were, how it, how it could help. And I wanted a management team who would help me do that, who valued that, who didn't just say, hey, you know, we're in a burning platform here. Come on. Don't you want to focus over there? And I did it. I wanted to focus on the people and on the culture, because that to me is the most important thing. That's the thing that'll get us over the line at the end of the day. And so my management team actually is quite diverse. It's 50% diverse. We have three women. We have two people of color. They come from all different directions, all different backgrounds, and hearing all of their input and, and then synthesizing it as a management team is so much more valuable than if I had a management team of of Peggy's, you know, because I hear the alternate case for something. We have healthy debates about literally everything. And it's just something that meant a lot to me to ensure that I had voices at that table and not just one voice at that table. And um, I've been able to do that. And, And we're, you know, permeating that through the entire company. You've mentioned Satya Nadella a couple of times. I should just point out to our listeners, he was our, our very first guest on yeah. Leadership oh. <laughs> Next. We started with him. So you're, 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 you're following in, I, I don't know whether to call him your former employer or your current competitor, but whichever we call him. <laughs> not going to let that go, Peggy. He's my friend. not going to let it go. <laughs> we want the dirt. <laughs> so Peggy, look 10 years into the future. And pick a company, but tell us how this technology is going to be used within large companies. So I believe it will be deeply integrated into the workflow processes of companies. It's a tool that can augment what, you know, what we're capable of today. So for instance, right now, frontline workers generally don't have a lot of access to what us knowledge workers do. They don't usually go back to a desk with a PC on it. And this can be the PC for frontline workers. I think it'll be very empowering for more people than than what the PC has done for knowledge workers. There's something like 3 billion frontline workers in the world today who don't have that kind of access and the tools that we take for granted and enjoy every day. And obviously, smaller, lighter, uh, there'll be more integration of silicon, just like mobile phones. You know, mobile phones started you, like you, this. You think it'll be bigger bigger than the PC? I think it has the potential, yes. Because at some point, what we have with our mobile phones, I think will will start to change into more of a wearable device. I always go back to my early days of mobile phone when it was kind of big and 
the guys would say, well, you could put it in your pocket. And I'm like, what? I don't have a pocket big enough to put that thing in. And, and you know, like I, bricks. <laughs> yeah, they were like big bricks. <laughs> what pocket? And <laughs> so mobile phones got smaller and, you know, fit, fit our pockets now. And, and I think the next evolution of that is more of a wearable of some form and likely in the form of glasses, something that's, that looks like glasses and not like a, a big head, head mounted display. Were you tech oriented as a kid? Did you know, did you know that you wanted to be a CEO as a kid? <laughs> I keep, I, I, my daughter's about to turn 19 and I've been telling her since she was very, very little that she had CEO potential. And now I think she finally knows what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always loved math. I, um, when, when actually I've never told this story before, but when I was really young, I was, I was very anemic. So I had a, oh. a, yeah, I was sick a lot. I had to stay home from school all the time. And when mama go to the store and she said, do you want me to bring you something? I'd say, yeah, bring me a math book. <laughs> I know that's <laughs> Wow. I know it's nerdy, but like those little uh, worksheets, you know, cause I loved it. I loved the challenge of doing, you know, puzzles and math and things. So I always love math. I always love science, uh, but nobody, ever steered me toward engineering, which was the degree that I ended up pursuing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, hopefully we're doing a better job now with our, our young people, including young girls who, you know, there's, there's still some cultural biases out there that, that say, sure. you know, oh, I'm just not good in math. Peggy, one last question before yeah. we let you get back to changing the world. Okay. <laughs> you announced fairly recently a big partnership with Google Computing. What does that mean for Magic Leap and its future. Right, so uh, uh, Google's been a wonderful partner of ours and an investor, and essentially we need their help to really scale this technology. So they'll be helping us with different first-party solutions, uh, AR solutions focused at the enterprise. They've got a great go-to-market that we can rely upon. Um, And then just doing more work in the AR cloud. So this, you know, as we move into a world where digital twins of a factory are going to become more and more important to getting work done, they have a great product with AR cloud. And I think together, sort of pairing our two technologies together will accelerate that area as well, um, which will be awesome for enterprise use cases. Cool. Well, we're, we're going to be watching. Okay. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, Thank we are. You. And when you take over the enterprise world, we will have you back. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 